So 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. I'm reading from the NRSV. There was a certain man of Ramathim, a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elehu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, and Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his town to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her severely to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept, and she would not eat. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So you can see why I kind of just sped through the beginning portions of that just so that we can get past it. It's just the name of someone and the tribe and the family that they came from, okay? And the names, of course, seem different. This is really funny. Right now, this has nothing to do, do with the sermon, okay? But at the end, um, if you notice, the husband, Elkanah, goes up and goes, am I not more to you than ten sons? And this is like, I can picture my wife right now. She's not here. I can picture her saying, isn't that typical? The guy just makes it all about himself. You know what I mean? And I see some laughter there. You're like, yeah, okay. But I had to get that in there, you know. Um, and all the, all the men right now are like, make him stop. Please make him stop, <laughs> okay? But that's what he says. Am I not more to you than 10 sons? And she's like, you just don't get it, do you? Uh, but into today's sermon, today we're looking at Hannah from the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. And Hannah was the mother of Samuel. And if you're unfamiliar with who Samuel is, there are two books two books in the Old Testament that bear um, his name, First and Second Samuel. And these books were, they're where we learn about King Saul and King David. That's when they enter into the picture. And more importantly, it, they um, show how the monarchy of Israel was formed. That's the, the goal of those two books. But again, Hannah was the mother of Samuel. And Hannah's story, right off the bat, it, it just begins with heartache. It's, it's a really sad situation. The scriptures tell us that she was married to a godly man named Elkanah who had two wives, different culture, different time, okay? Um, so that might sound, seem a little bit odd to you, but that's not the point right here, okay? The main thing here is that Elkanah was married to both Penina, one wife, and to Hannah, the other wife. And the scripture tells us that Penina had many children and that Hannah had no children, and in that culture where children meant the continuation of the Hebrew bloodline, it was just significant. It was important. Childbearing was socially and culturally vital. And the story reveals that Elkanah loved Hannah, and even more so, he loved her even though the Lord had closed her womb. 
And his affections and his love toward Hannah were obvious because he gave more to her than he did to his other wife, Penina. So there's a little favoritism going on here because there was love. And so there was rivalry between the two wives. You can picture the soap opera going on right now, all right? One had children but went without love, while the other, Hannah, had the love and affection of her husband but went without children. They both went without something something that was very important to the both of them. But rather than comfort the other, Penina treated Hannah terribly, and the scriptures tell us that she used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And this wasn't just a one-time thing. Rather, this went on for years. Can you imagine that? It's her again. It's obvious that out of the two, Penina is being portrayed as the negative one here. And it's clear that she is jealous over the relationship that Hannah had with Elkanah. So she used what she had in order to hurt the other person. And here's the irony in this situation. The irony here is that Penina had a blessing from the Lord. The Lord gave her many children, and being a Hebrew woman, she most definitely saw childbearing as a blessing from God. You can actually picture thanking God each time for these blessings. I am so blessed here. But here's the thing. Even though she saw childbearing as a blessing from God, she took that blessing that God gave her, and she used it to hurt another child a child of God, by holding her blessing over her. When you read the story, we tend to miss that. Basically, she weaponized her blessing. So when you get to the center of the situation, it looks like this. Penina was hurt emotionally, so she purposely hurt someone else. You ever hear that saying, hurting people hurt people? You ever hear that saying, or hurt people hurt people? That's, it's just not a clever saying. That's, that's, the, that's the truth. Hurt people hurt people. And, the, and, the, and here's the thing that makes it more, even more, more sad. Because of sin, that's the natural instinct of most human beings. Hurt people hurt people. And so we get into this, this pattern where it's like, if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to retaliate. You know why? No one does that to me. If you insult me, I'm not going to take that. I'm going to return the insult twofold, then threefold, then fourfold. And from this, you know, this pattern, this hurting, a pain pattern develops. And with each hurtful action, the wedge, there's a wedge, and it gets driven deeper and deeper into the relationship, making forgiveness all the more difficult. The deeper that wedge goes, the wider the gap in the relationship, and the more hurt occurs see pain patterns they don't they never resolve themselves they don't in fact they tend to escalate until something or someone intervenes that's what a pain pattern does it just gets worse and worse and worse and you get caught up in it and panina was stuck in a pain pattern and every time she saw hannah she hurt her because she herself was hurt i bet you never looked at the story that way did you the focus is usually on Hannah, but Penina was hurt. Now, I'd be lying to you if I told you that I, I've never hurt anyone before. You know, whether deliberately or unaware, I, I've done both. And e either way, it was, it was wrong. 
And I've also been, been hurt by other, others. And likewise, some have deliberately hurt me. While others are unaware that they have, they've hurt me. And you know, unless you've been living under a rock, or living in con- complete isolation, you too have experienced this. The same is true for every single person here today. And here's the thing, either you've been or are Panina and, and you are hurting, you know, because someone hurt you, you know, you're, you, because you, you yourself are hurting, hurt people hurt people, or you've been, been or can presently relate to Hannah, the other end, and, and you're the one being hurt by someone. Either way, either way, you got to work towards breaking that pain pattern. At least acknowledge the pain pattern. I can't let this go. I'm in this pattern. That's step one right there. And work towards breaking it. So what about Hannah? Let's look at the story of Hannah. Um, you know, let's, let's look at it from her, her perspective. Uh, well, Hannah was the one being hurt. And Panina hurt her so much that the scriptures say she wept and would not eat. That's a lot of hurt. And even more so, more than that, there was this cultural norm set in place that caused her to feel inadequate because she was unable to bear a child for her husband. Now, I just used um, a, a term that we tend not to hear every single day, cultural norm, all right? Um, so what is a cultural norm? Cultural norms are, are just as the name implies. They are what culture or society, the people around you, determine what is to be considered normal and acceptable and what is not. That's what a cultural norm is. Now, digging a little deeper, within cultural norms, there are expectations as to what certain types of people should live up to. And in Hannah's culture, the norm for women was first to marry and then to bear children. And if you couldn't do that, people were going to talk. They were just going to talk. And you know what? You you were going to know that people talk because people love to talk, don't they? And here's the thing when people talk. They don't talk about normal. They don't. Where's, where's the fun in that? Where's the fun in normal conversation? You know, hey, I heard that person was walking down the street the other day normally. Yeah, what do you have to say about that? They don't, that's not the conversation. When people talk, it's never about the normal. Because that's not interesting. Rather, people talk, they tend to talk about those who don't measure up to the cultural norm. And their intent is usually to shame the person or group of people. I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. Look out in the world. And here's the scary thing. Because being shamed by others is so undesirable, and because it's just easier to go along just to get along, most people will just try to measure up to the cultural norm. They'll just fall on the line. They'll just let, and in doing so, they let, they'll let culture determine their identity. Okay? And that's the problem right there. Um, you look at, I, I think many people here are probably thinking social media. Social media has really fueled this whole idea of being loved and accepted by people they don't even know. <laughs> it's so strange. Love me. By the way, who are you? Love me. I don't care. You know? We're looking for these, this acceptance, and it's nurtured the whole population of approval junkies. We're all seeking a- approval to this like heightened state. And here's the thing, I fear, and I hope you fear too, but I fear that we are only seeing the beginning stages of its, its psychological effects. That's the, that's the truth. 
We have an entire generation who have just grown up on social media. Think about that. Think about the effects. We're talking about a totally different type of psychology here. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of negative consequences to that. But listen to this. If you're caught up in what, you know, in this whole, you know, cultural norm um, giving you your, your identity, I want you to know that, that it's God, it's the God of the scriptures who determines your worth. And, and not even you. Not, you don't determine your worth. Let God determine your worth. When you say, I'm worthless, God says, you are, you're priceless. You know, we say worthless. He says, oh, well, worth dying for. And he put that and he showed us that. So when the world says you're worthless, he says you're worth dying for. And he did it. Think about that for a moment. It is the loving God of the scripture who determines your identity, not culture. Not social media, not your job, not your addiction, not your circumstance, but God. And, and you can you know, go to God and express to God your concerns. This is how I feel, but you know, help me out here. When you're feeling the pressures of the world around you and you're not measuring up to the cultural norm that everyone expects you to live up to, and perhaps that has brought some shame upon you. Here's the thing about shame. It's always private. We don't know each other's shame. It's private shame. So, you know, maybe you're going through that. Whatever, whatever it is, you can go to God. You really can. He will listen and he will respond in his very own way. He really will. Go to God. And I believe that Hannah understood this because the scriptures tell us that while she was deeply distressed, she prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And in her prayer, she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, this is her prayer, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. That's the vow right there. Now, in her prayer of dedication, Hannah asks God for two things. Look upon me and know my heart. That's the first thing she says. Look at, look at my heart right now. I'm not in a good place. But you know what kind of heart I have. And then she asks for a son. You see, God, being all-knowing, already had plans for Hannah. Thank God. And I believe that God already knew Hannah's heart. See, Hannah had the heart of a mother, a heart that longs to love, a heart of compassion, a heart that breaks when others hurt, a heart of joy when others have joy, and a heart that provides comfort when joy cannot be found. God knew that Hannah was going to be a mother, a mother that was going to make sacrifices for her son. A mother that was going to look to God for guidance rather than to the world and its cultural norms. A mother that was going to serve the Lord by giving her son back to the Lord. And a mother that loved God so much that she trusted him with the outcome of her prayer. No matter what it was going to be. You see, while Hannah was praying to God, a priest named Eli um, noticed her praying, and, and they had a conversation, which ended with the priest blessing Hannah. He said, go in peace, and may God grant you what you have been asked, what you have asked him, which gave her hope. How many times do we go through that? You know, I need your prayers, and then someone says, man, may God bless you. 
That's what was going on here. May God bless you. And, and then you, you walk away with hope. We still experience that hope, and we can give hope to each other. It's a wonderful, amazing thing. And the scriptures, they say that Hannah went, went her way and ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. There's a joy in that right there. Now keep, keep this in mind. The text does not say that God answered her at that point and said yes. It doesn't say that. We want it to. It doesn't say that. The fact is, you know, God, God did, at that point didn't say, you will have a child. The fact is, she didn't know. She walked away from her prayer with simply hope. She did not know. What it does state is that she went to the Lord and prayed, and afterwards her face was no longer downcast. Be careful how you read the scriptures. Because that's what it says right there. That prayer changed Hannah. She brought her concerns to the Lord. And listen, I don't think it was the only time she ever went to God. I think she, was, she has a life habit of doing that. But again, she brought her concerns to the Lord and left changed. And I believe that she was okay with whatever God had planned for her. It doesn't mean that she would struggle with it. She was okay with what God had planned for her. And, and the same is true for all of us. God wants to accomplish his will through, through all of us, and we really need to trust him on that. We trust in God, but do we trust God's plan? They're, those are two totally different things. I trust in God. I put my faith in God, but do you trust his plans for you? <laughs> that's, where the, you know, that's where it gets real. Prayer is one of the ways that we can line ourselves and our, 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 our wills up with God's will. When you go to prayer, know that. Not my will, but your will be done. So when looking at Hannah's prayer for, for God to give her a son, we, we need to understand that Hannah did not use prayer as a way to get what she wanted. Rather, she used her prayer to express a desire of hers to God, and it lined up with God's will for her, and she did have a son. And she named her son Samuel. Want to know what that name means? We always just look at a book that says first and second Samuel. It's just a book. No, the name means something. In Hebrew, the name means God has heard. So when you look at that, um, when you look at that, um, those books in the Bible, God has heard. However, above her desire to have a child, I believe, was her desire to serve the Lord. I see that going on here. I really do. I saw it yesterday. In her prayer, Hannah refers to herself as a servant to the Lord. The Hebrew term that she uses is amah. All right, you're like, so? Okay, yeah, well, so, well, check this out. A mop, you know, literally means maidservant. That's how that translates. And she uses it three times, three times in her short prayer, which is significant when you use something that much in, you know, short, short amount of time. A maidservant, that's how she viewed herself. That was her core identity, not someone who couldn't measure up to the cultural norm, but as God's servant. Hannah had a servant's heart. And lastly, we're going to close on this. What this story shows us is that Hannah had the heart of a mother long before she was ever a mother. Let that sink in. I'm going to repeat it. Hannah had the heart of a mother long before she was ever a mother to her son Samuel. Hannah had a heart of love. She had a heart of sacrifice. But most of all, Hannah had a heart for God. And that's what we've been working our way up to. You, too.
a heart for God. Ask God to know your heart. Ask God to point your heart towards him and work on that. Have a heart for God, most of all. And when you have a heart for God, you have a heart for God's people. Amen? Amen. As usual, I have misplaced my bulletin. <laughs> Does someone want to take it upon themselves? 384. What is 384? I do not have it memorized. <laughs> all right, 384. Let us all stand and sing 384. <laughs>